It's great to be back here. I've been able to say that to some of you as you came in, but it is tremendously life-giving to me in kind of a new way, or a way that I hadn't been able to experience until, you know, uh, God decided I needed some neck adjustment. So I appreciate very much your prayers, and I'm just, again, giving him thanks, and thanks to you for being able to be here today. You know you're getting better, whatever ailment you may have had in this, you know, recent times or way back when, when you start to regain your energy. When you think, hey, you know what, today's a little bit better than yesterday, and I'm a little bit more myself, a little bit more who I am, and my, my day starts to look like I remember it before I got sick. And for me, that means the morning. The morning is really my most productive time. It's the time where I can read, think, concentrate, write. Afternoons tend to be more times of connecting with people, getting coffee, doing something like that. Evening I can use for opportunities to have people over, or we can do a small group. There's just that sort of rhythm. And so as I began to get better, I knew using the morning uh, was, it was great to be back in that, that best time of day for me. I wonder what the best time of day is for you. Are you a morning person? Or maybe you just got a lot going on and so it's the afternoon, you kind of hit your stride, all the little kind of ankle biter stuff is done and it's the afternoon, bang, wonderful. Or maybe you just want to wait for everybody and everything to kind of clear out and you're just a night owl. And when it's nice and dark and all's quiet, that's when you're at your most energetic. I'm sure it varies even in, in our group here. But wherever we are the most energetic, the most productive, there's also a time where we start to feel tired and feel fatigued. And that tired, if it's prolonged, leads to a certain weariness. And, uh, and then we know that it's time to kind of wrap it up. So um, that sense of tiredness, that sense of weariness is where the gospel text that Cindy just read introduces us to Peter. He is tired and weary and discouraged. Because he has just come from a, a night of fishing where he caught nothing. Some parts of the country, they'd say he got skunked. He got absolutely zero fish, and this is his livelihood. And so he's got to be discouraged, and he's got to be tired. And then he pulls his boat up on shore, and now he's in kind of a Bible study. And the Lord is teaching the people around him. And... And I don't know, we don't get too much of a window into it, but maybe Peter's just kind of done for the day. You know what, I just want to clean my nets and go to bed and maybe tomorrow will be a little bit different. The Lord puts him, says to Peter, first let me get in your boat. And then after the teaching is done, then he says to Peter, put out into the deep water and drop your nets. It occurs to me, why is the Lord asking this very tired fisherman when he's probably at his, his most fatigued, his most weary, and, and certainly just being discouraged? Why does he ask him to go back and do that yet again? I think we know the answer to that, right? Because the, and, and you can hear that weariness in Peter's response. He says, Lord, We've been fishing all night, a polite way of saying, this isn't a great idea, but because you say so, I will do that. And so he goes and he does it. And the Lord, they get obviously this astonishing, when the New Testament uses the word astonishing, that means really amazing. This is kind of like really over the top. An astonishing amount of fish so that their nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. 
Like that's a lot, even for experienced fishermen. And Peter knows in that moment that this is not an ordinary situation. We'll explore that a little bit later. But, but the Lord asks this very weary fisherman to go do something so that the Lord can reveal something that Peter doesn't yet know. And that revelation is the calling that God has, that Jesus has on his life. And the calling is to, among other things, to go fish for people. Don't be afraid, he says. I've sent you to fish for people. And that's, I pray, an encouraging time, an encouraging word for us. Because I don't know about you, but there's plenty that can weary us in this life. Not, not only the normal things in our, in our life, the daily kinds of stuff, the demands of the job, relationship challenges and issues, uh, yet another sort of pandemic up and down. All those things are things that we have in common. But I think what is maybe particular to the church in this season is a weariness from just being under kind of increasing scrutiny and increasing challenge. And, and, and so that, that church that you may have grown up in, the church that you uh, have identified with, uh, the Christianity that you claim may be something that is, I, I don't know quite what the right word is. It, it's not that it's less attractive. It's just coming under greater assault and greater challenge. It, there's one, one essay has recently wrote about people in, in kind of that evangelical frame, which that was certainly my church background, started Catholic, then evangelical from college onward. But even that, you know, that used to be a theological term primarily describing what the emphasis of one's mind and heart and, and a way to apprehend God through scripture and through sharing faith. But over the last 20 years, it's become much more of a political description, much more of a cultural description. And so in that, I think it's, and, and corresponding with that has been uh, just sort of a greater sense of, of people not uh, being in disagreement, being in challenge, in some ways with just critique. There's been a whole raft of revelations around spiritual abuse, leaders' spiritual abuse, all kinds of different kinds of abuses that leaders in the church have perpetrated upon a variety of people. That, that's good that that's come out. But that can make us feel, you know, it understandably can wound us. It can understandably hurt us. We can say uh, it, people are using that so that, that Christianity and sometimes evangelicalism itself is no longer in that uh, well-regarded sphere. The same essay has said up to through the, pretty much the 20th century, it was okay to be a Christian. People thought that, you know, that testified a certain character. 20 years into from sort of the end of 20th century to almost now, maybe 2014, it was sort of a neutral posture. That if you're a churchgoer, that was, that was okay. You could contribute to the public square. Sometimes people wanted to know what that meant. You could engage culturally, you could be listened to, but just sort of a neutral posture from society to this church, to Christianity. Now, in the last seven, 10 years, he says it's gone negative. That to be a Christian is something that is not perceived as a positive necessarily by the world or by the culture around us, but it's something that's negative. And some of us have come from those environments, some of you are in those environments now, where it's just, it gets, it's hard, it's not easy. How do you respond? What do you say? There can be a weariness that comes into that. Do, who, do I, can I, who do I talk to Jesus about? How do I even talk to Jesus? Does somebody even want to hear about Jesus? 
if you're at all connecting with that weirdness, believe me, I, I feel it. Um, things I read, things that the diocese is, is having to deal with, it's just, it's around us. But if you're feeling that, then I pray that this word that we're given is, is, the, is the encouragement that God intends it to be. There's a reason, I think, you know, that Jesus sent Peter out when he was tired. There's a reason that our lectionary has this word for us when we may be weary of just trying to understand and represent Christ well in the midst of a harder environment in which to do that. But nevertheless, in this season of epiphany, it's worth reminding ourselves that we are epiphany people. We are people that epiphany is the manifestation of Christ to the world, but he is calling his disciples early on in the gospels because he knows he won't physically be able to be with them. And they therefore will become the representatives of Jesus to the world. And they will be responsible through the power of the spirit for building up the next generation to in fact be that representation to the world. And so it goes and it has gone for the last two millennia. And so here we are with that call in our lives to be the epiphany people, to be, to use the context here of what we're talking about, fishers of people. What, th what that means is to take who Christ is in us and to make it plain in whatever way we can through our deeds, through who we are, through how we love people, through what we say, all of those things, how we do our job manifest that, how we interact with people manifest that, how we put up and deal with things that come against us and bear burdens manifest that. To be a fisher of people doesn't just have a, well, I'm just going to share the gospel with you context. We are that gospel. It does, it, we share it in who we are and what we do, but it all, we also share it by what we say. And so there's a couple of encouragements that I find here in this text. Because uh, before there was all this sort of cultural challenge that we find ourselves in the midst of, this call came to Peter 2,000 years ago, before any of this. And we are still called to be the fishers of people. If you're a fishing person, and I'm, I'm not really, but there's an old saying, the fish are biting. There are still people that want to hear and know the gospel. There are people today at your work, maybe in your extended family, maybe you're in your neighborhood, someplace that are coming to the end of their own self-salvation self strategies. Or, or maybe they're just beginning to question what they thought was always true and always sure. But God has you in their life for a reason. God has you to plant a seed or God has me to ask an interesting question that gets them thinking or God allows me to have a conversation about who, what Jesus means to me. It can take a variety of forms to jump over to a different analogy. We talk about fish. Let's talk about the harvest is white. Let's talk about you know, harvest. Some people are planting seeds, other people are cultivating, and some actually get the harvest. And we as Christ followers oftentimes are playing roles anywhere along that way. But I just want to encourage us today that, that we are still called to be fishers of people, that there are still people that God has us ordained to, to speak to in whatever way that will be. Uh, we don't have to give them a Christian mugging. You don't have to, you know, get them in a sort of a spiritual headlock and say, you've got to confess. We just need to be the authentic folks that God is making us along the way. I think one of the images that encourages me there is 
Some of you know the parable, one of my favorite parables that Jesus says again in Luke. He only tells it in Luke about the shrewd manager, the one who is going to get fired by his boss because he's dishonest, but he is making friends for himself by offering them immediate discounts. And the, the moral of that story, Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by, un, by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. That image of being received into eternal dwellings by people that we have helped on earth continues to compel me. And I think that image is, is very valid when it comes to being a fisher of people where we can come and, and I, I, I just know there will be people that that because it seems to be pretty specific in that parable, that will say thank you for how you spent your time and your resources so that I could hear the gospel, so that I can understand who Christ is, so I could navigate that tricky situation in my job, so that I could help repair that relationship. Thank you for, for being willing to do that, for sacrificing for whatever that was. And in the context of what we're talking about today, about being a fisher of men, thank you for having the boldness to just ask me about where I am spiritually. Thank you for uh, caring enough to kind of press into that conversation. Thank you for praying for me when I just didn't want to be prayed for. There will be people in heaven as we pray to be fishers of people that will welcome us into eternal dwellings. That's encouraging to me. So we are still called to be fishers of people. And we are called... Um, by the Lord to do that with the expectation of seeing fish caught for the kingdom. Some of whom we helped, uh, some of whom we didn't know what impact we had, but we will see them. The second thing that stick, stands out for me here is that Jesus kind of goes fishing with us. He doesn't just send us out and say, go for it. You know, like, like if you ever go fly fishing or something like that, you get a little map, a little guide, off you go. They hope you come back. No, if I was going to go out in the rugged terrain and hills and things like that and streams, I'd want a guide. Jesus always comes with us. He knows who he's leading us to. The easiest way to catch fish is to go with a guide who knows the river. The easiest way for us to be who God wants us to be is to say, Lord, who is it that you need me to speak to? Who is it, Lord, that I can be your presence in their, whatever situation of life they're in? You know, at, at work or in the neighborhood, you'll hear people going through challenges or tragedies in their life. It's a marvelous opportunity just to be the presence of God. Can I pray for you? That sounds hard. Is there something that you need? These are all aspects of, of being a fisherman, if you will, to build that relationship. I wonder in this time of you know, added pressure upon the church, if we're sometimes too discouraged to realize that, or that we don't remember that Jesus is actually with us. But the, the real interesting aspect about the miraculous catch of fish, which only Luke records, by the way, Matthew and Mark have the, the invitation of the disciples to come and be, become fishers of men, but only Luke tells us that, that Peter gets in the boat and lets down his nets. And in so doing, you know, he's saying to Peter, I'm not calling you to something that you will, that will not be successful. I'm calling you to do something that is so important to being who you are in me, to being part of this mission, part of this calling. 
your boat will be filled. Your nets will break. Your boats will sink. Such is the harvest that we get to be a part of in some way, shape, or form. So that really, that really does encourage me a lot to know that the Lord goes with us in what we do. Even when we are not faithful or lost the plot sometimes. Have you ever found yourself praying for somebody for a while, whatever their needs are, or the opportunity to, to be Christ to them in some way? And it's just gone on and on and on. And there's no indication that they're even interested. But you're praying and you're like, I'm still praying. That's the other aspect about fishing. It requires patience and it requires endurance. It requires prayer. When I uh, came to uh, a Protestant faith through, through some guys at, at Crew when I was in college, you know, they're big on evangelism and discipleship. I'm still big on evangelism and discipleship. I was really excited. I came, whenever I, when I came home after that from college, I, they gave me a little booklet to share with people. I talked to my dad, who uh, it really wasn't an active believer, to put it mildly, uh, even though he'd grown up with some, some Christian background. I said, Dad, you got to read this. This is so exciting. So he read it that night, and the next day he told me, I'm glad it's for you, but it's not for me. And if you knew my dad, if he said it like that, that was pretty much end of conversation. It wasn't like there was a lot of dialogue back and forth. And so I, we just began to pray for him and pray for him and pray for him. And you know what happened? Not much. Pretty much very little. For years, there were times where I, I just think, looking back and remembering this, I lost the plot. We just stopped praying for him. But somehow the Lord honored what feeble prayers we had offered in the sporadic way that they were given. So that 20 years on from that, as my dad's health declined, I don't know that the little booklet came out, but the gospel came out again. I said, Lord... You know, give, give us a window of opportunity to speak to my dad. And there was a window when he was just much more open, as I think he began to realize that he's not going to live forever. Eventually, he did acknowledge Christ as Lord. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for that. It was totally unprepared. I think praying for people in your extended family is one of the hardest things to do because you know them and they know you. And I just want to encourage those who are praying for your family or praying for friends um, to keep on keeping on, to know that God is very much in that. If he's motivating you to pray, to continue to pray and to expect some kind of opportunity to say something. I think that may be true for some of you with college friends. I value my college friends after all these years. And I know that with some of them, and I still have an opportunity, still have a window if they're not yet believing. There's one guy in particular on my mind. Like, we're, we, we do Christmas card exchanges and we stay connected. He knows, uh, you know, we, we can be really open. So there's people like that I, I trust in your world or if they're not yet, God will bring them if we are open. So let me just kind of close with this idea that the calling that we see in this gospel on Peter has some specifics to Peter, but it also has some, some general ones for us. All of us who are disciples are called to be part of this fishing call. All of us are called to be Christ to those. It means, it's part of what it means to be the epiphany. 
But we know that it's not easy. It's not a calling that's easy. It's not a calling that we can do alone. It's not a calling that always fills us with enthusiasm. We know that it's hard and we know that it's challenging. And in this particular cultural moment in America, I think it is, in, it is especially challenging and especially difficult. But the calling hasn't diminished, nor has the power of the Lord diminished. And so I pray that we would just find the Spirit encouraging us anew to ask that question, Lord, who is it that I need to be you to in, in the natural circles in which I'm in? job and family and neighbors or just people that are in need that I run across if you find yourself weary then just pray this prayer pray that, it's not really a prayer that Peter's articulating but it is a sentiment that echoes perhaps who we are if we would come before the Lord when he says even though we're tired put out your boat let down your nets that we would respond my prayer is that we would each respond master we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I think if we do that, the miraculous catch that it's called in this gospel will become more of our own experience in particular and specific ways. And that's my hope for us as a church. That's my hope for each of us as members of this church. May God give us wisdom in the days ahead to think about what this means. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.